Did you know that Delaware has endless discoveries? The first state invites you to explore miles of beaches and boardwalks, dozens of unique breweries, award-winning restaurants, some of the country's best state parks, beautiful garden estates, and even tax-free shopping. There's plenty of fun for the entire family and more. Find trip ideas and all the info you need to plan your Delaware discoveries at visitdelaware.com. The Ford F-150 truck drives smart design forward. The standard 12-inch productivity screen helps you get what you need done too. And the available Pro-Access tailgate improves access to bed and cargo and utilization of the bed, including when towing a trailer. Together with a wider bumper step, it's easier to access the bed and load in tight spaces. An available Pro Power onboard serves as a mobile power source, providing up to 7.2 kilowatts of power to charge a bed full of electric dirt bikes or run an entire job site worth of tools. I'm still driving my 2016 F-150 truck and 90,000 miles in. As long as I keep it clean, it honestly still looks brand new. I've taken it down snow-covered forest service roads, taken it out camping, put a ton of miles on it on the freeway, had five adults in the cabin for long trips, and it's been great everywhere. Super dependable. I still love the way it looks, nice and rugged design, but with a super comfortable interior. And I'm still very happy with the quality sound system and heated seats. And since I bought my 2016 F-150 truck, the list of standard amenities that make a truck feel like a luxury vehicle have only grown. Tough this smart can only be called F-150. Find your local Ford dealer at Ford.com. Pro-access tailgate available starting spring 2024. See owner's manual for important operating instructions. Sadist, rapist, pedophile, murderer, cannibal, necrophiliac. Jeffrey Dahmer was all these things. He was also a member of his high school tennis team, a prankster who photobombed the National Honor Society yearbook pick. He was the son of an analytical chemist who had a PhD in chemistry from Iowa State University and provided a normal middle-class life for his family. Dahmer was a medic in the U.S. Army and a student at Ohio State University. How does a man who had what he himself described as a very normal childhood become one of the most gruesome serial killers of the 20th century? Leave the kids at home for this one. This shit is going to get rough as we dive into the tormented and tortured mind of Jeffrey Lionel Dahmer, the Milwaukee cannibal, on today's cringeworthy edition of Time Suck. You're listening to Time Suck. Happy Monday, everybody. I'm Dan Cummins, and thanks for listening to Time Suck. Uh, a lot of new listeners the past two weeks. Appreciating all you Time Suckers spreading the suck, and uh, you new Time Suckers going all in on getting sucked as well. Uh, thanks to all of you uh, suckheads out there for the birthday wishes this past week as I hit the big 4-0. Uh, you know, you hit 40, and you definitely start to reflect on your life a little bit. At least I did. Uh, I heard I was going to. Thankful for a lot of things, uh, this, including this podcast for sure. A lot, a lot of work, but a lot of fun work. Most rewarding creative project of my career. And we're just getting started. Thanks to all of you who bought that second generation 103% manatee uterus flatter space lizard t-shirt. So happy with how that came out. Love that many of you are loving it. If you haven't seen it, check, uh, check it out in the shop at timesuckpodcast.com or go to my Instagram at Dan Cummins Comedy. I'll keep uh, uh, posting pictures of Time Suckers wearing some shirts. And they keep selling like they're selling, and the third generation uh, T is not going to be far behind. Appreciate all the new iTunes reviews. Uh, we're sitting at over 600 now, and so the JFK conspiracy episode is dropping, but it's going to drop Friday, June 2nd. 
It's going to drop Friday, June 2nd. Sorry, I'm not able to get it to you Friday, May 26th, but I can't record uh, that Friday or Thursday or Wednesday uh, because of travel for stand-up. I'll be out of town just too long, and I won't be home to record. And now that I've moved uh, you know, towards home recording because the quality is better, I want to do that as often as I can. i gotta got to give you the sweetest sound and suck whenever possible. But you can still keep leaving reviews just to get the word out and to show appreciation for the suck and to build towards that 700 review bonus episode, which is going to be Vlad the Impaler, the original vampire, the man who inspired Dracula, a dark dude who probably understood uh, Jeffrey Dahmer, uh, you know, if you would have met him a little better, a little better than I do. Uh, thanks to all of those, uh, or thanks to those of you uh, who clicked on the Amazon button at timesuckpodcast.com to do your Amazon shopping. Thanks to those who threw some bucks at the suck using that donation PayPal button, timesuckpodcast.com. And thanks to uh, Time Sucker Sydney Sapula, Brittany Emanuel, and Jacob for requesting today's topic. And we're going to get right into this topic right after some Time Sucker updates. Updates. Get your Time Sucker updates. Chris Pockell has a dark web update uh, in uh, last week's episode. In July of 2015, uh, Force, the agent who was tracking Ross Ulbricht in that episode, the uh, Dread Pirate Roberts, pled guilty to money laundering, obstruction of justice, and extortion under color of official right. The former DEA agent based in Baltimore, Maryland, had been a member of the Silk Road Task Force, a sprawling multi-agency, multi-jurisdictional law enforcement effort that eventually netted, as I said, Ross Ulbricht, uh, known as the Dread Pirate Roberts, in February 2015, Ulbricht was convicted on all counts after a jury trial in New York, you know, and currently serving a life sentence. And then on October 19th, uh, 2015, Force was uh, sentenced to 78 months. Force investigated the Silk Road drug, drug trafficking as part of the Baltimore-based task force. Task force, uh, force, a lot, of, a lot of force in this. Uh, force took on additional personalities that weren't authorized by his bosses using uh, one called Death From Above, tried unsuccessfully to extort Ross Ulbricht, and another online persona, French Maid, ooh, uh, Force convinced Ulbricht to pay him for law enforcement counterintelligence information about Force, and another corrupt agent was kept out of Ulbricht's Silk Road trial. In addition to his crimes involving Ulbricht, uh, Force ripped off a customer of Coin MKT, a Bitcoin-related company he was illegally moonlighting for. He stole $370,000 from a Coin MKT customer, putting $37,000 in a government account. And keeping the rest for himself. All right. It's a lot of money. As, uh, as part of a sentence, Force was ordered today, uh, uh, or when, they, when he was charged and sentenced to pay $337,000 in restitution to the victim, identified only as RP. He was ordered to pay $3,000 to Curtis Green. And that's the dude he uh, faked uh, slapping around in the bathtub uh, to make uh, Ulbricht think that he had been killed. A former Silk Road staffer uh, who Force's team had arrested. Now, I Googled for more info on this because I was like, how did I miss that when I was doing all my research? And I was shocked at how little comes up. It's mostly like strange, like uh, Bitcoin dark uh, web related like websites as opposed to, you know, MSNBC or something or CNN or just whatever. Uh, Huffington Post, almost like some people in power just really didn't want anyone focusing on this part of the story. To me, this is a huge story. It's like I got kind of swept under the rug a little bit. Like how does the lead investigator uh, who was arrested for extortion – you know, extorting the defendant, how does that not throw Ulbricht's case into question just overall? I don't know. Because, uh, you know, there, there was other speculation that, of course, um, this task force used illegal means to track uh, down the initial server in Iceland uh, to catch Ross Ulbricht. But I'm no lawyer, I guess. Seems very fishy, though. Seems very, very fishy. Uh, this in from Dan D., the cybersecurity expert I relied on for the Dark Web episode. Uh, he made me happy, Dan. 
He says, bravo, bravo, suck master supreme. You did a wonderful job of taking the big, bad, and complicated topic of the dark, deep web and making it digestible for the majority of people. Well, thank you, Dan. You helped a lot of that. Uh, you made me cringe with what you went about clicking and that you even went as far as Googling crazy tour websites to go to. I, I was slightly concerned when you were like, no, Suckmaster, no, it cannot be as bad. That was how many times you had to Google Jihad and ISIS recruitment for that episode. So you were just making a slow advancement up the NSA watch list. Welcome back to the bright side of the internet. Although they offer the magic of the magical fourth dimensional Bigfoot creatures with extra chocolate chip chunk cookies. You have come back out on the other side with a strong sense of safety and cool stuff you can find too. Lifetime Netflix subscription for the win. Ever need help manually cleaning that computer? Reach out. Suck me long time, Dan D. Well, thank you, Dan. I may take you up on cleaning my computer someday because uh, the last seven months of research have really, really filthed up my hard drive. I honestly am starting to wonder if I'm on some sort of watch list. You know, for today's episode, <laughs> I'm not kidding. I actually Googled the phrase, how do you bleach a human skull? What the fuck? My search history is getting very suspicious. And of course, we have some pr- uh, pronunciation. Uh, pronun- that, that word, fucking how ironic that I constantly, I, I, have, I have anxiety over pronouncing the word pronunciation. Pronunciation. That one's always been a motherfucker for me. <laughs> oh, okay. So he said, um, this is from uh, Time Sucker, Travis uh, Zygmunt. Dan, master of all that is sucks. Seriously, dude, what the fuck? You did so well with Jim Jones, and then out of nowhere, you fuck up the easiest medication name. Dilaudid. You pronounced it as Dilaudid. It's Dilaudid. What happened to those videos on how to pronounce shit? Anywho, love the podcast. Tune in every week. Hoping to see you at the Improv Orlando as long as I can get the time off. Keep sucking. I hope to see you there too, Travis. Damn it, sadly, I did a, I did use a YouTube phonetic video for that one. I use those all the time now. Actually, I'm starting to get addicted to them. And, and had the uh, phonetic spelling written down in my notes, but I still fucking said it wrong. I didn't think I did. I had, I had to re-listen to check. Shit. That's what I get for uh, spelling it correctly and then putting the phonetic spelling behind the proper spelling. Good catch, Travis. And from Andrew Paul Wood, dear master sucker, it's not that big of a deal. I know you're trying. has no reflection on your intelligence. So thank you, Andrew. But now it's a running theme. So I have to tell you, the capital of Iceland is pronounced Reykjavik. So Reykjavik. I'm sure I'm not the only one that has pointed this out. Yours and sucked them, Andrew Wood. All right, Andrew. I think I said Reykjavik. And actually, I, I, I did go to YouTube for this one now, and it's pronounced Reykjavik, according to several pronunciation uh, pronunciation videos on YouTube. So I'm guessing yours, uh, maybe how it's actually uh, pronounced in Iceland, perhaps. Uh, let's go tomato tomato on this one. And again, anyone traveling to Iceland, home to Bjork and so many other great musicians, I've always been fascinated by their musical scene. I think it's Reykjavik. So love to do a time stick on Iceland. If you know a cool story about something weird, send it to me, man. Let's find an excuse to explore that place. So really only a, uh, a couple slight discrepancies, time suckers. No genome, genome catastrophe recently. Appreciate you keeping a, a watchful eye on me. Helps me learn to get better. Uh, okay, so updates about some uh, people uh, being inspired. This, this is this is what we're going to end on. I, this makes me so happy. This is from sucker uh, extraordinaire Peyton Hawk. Subject, you're sucking awesome. He says, hey, Dan, you fucking suck. You are sucking my mind into wanting to learn again, and I'm loving it. My name is Peyton Hawk. I'm a 20-year-old factory worker. Hopefully I get recognized like Marilyn Monroe. Uh, unlikely, but uh, that's his words, not mine there. Uh, but, but anyways, I've never been so excited to learn. Until I heard of your podcast while listening to your stand-up on Pandora, and now I want to dedicate my life in expanding my knowledge, and you have definitely pushed me in that direction, and I thank you for that. Hopefully you see this message. I sent it on Instagram, but my account's private, so you might not get it, but I want you to know you have greatly encouraged me to wanting to learn and read more. Keep sucking, you master sucker. 
Uh, I, I did see it, man. Sorry, I, again, I get so busy with the research. I don't have time to get back right away on a lot of those messages. But, man, thank you, Peyton. It makes me feel good. I love how this Time Suck experiment is becoming a community built on curiosity, a community of those dedicated to self-enrichment on some kind of academic intellectual level, those interested in involving their minds, evolving. Uh, you fucking suck, Peyton. You fucking suck. Hope life gives you everything you want, buddy. Also, uh, Nahal Benik. And his iTunes review said, while I don't necessarily agree with everything said on the podcast, it's still uh, a lot of fun, entertaining, and awesome podcast. Yes. Enjoy even when you don't always agree. That's how it should be in life. That's how it should be. And a little excerpt uh, from an email Samuel E. sent me, another time sucker. This makes me feel great as well, and I wanted to share it with you guys. I haven't always been a Christian, nor do I claim to be a great one who has mastered life, and I was flesh and blood before I chose the life I'm living now. But every day I'm trying to become a better person and Christian with the help of God, though sometimes I may fail. Once again, you may read this and say I'm ignorant from my beliefs, but I'll continue to be a supporter of your show despite my disagreements on your beliefs. A great part about life to me is that we don't have to agree on everything to still be friends or enjoy what another has put into the world. So as a 23-year-old married Pentecostal, I'd like to think of myself as a balanced person slash Christian and that I don't hate you or anyone that doesn't see eye to eye with me when it comes to God. So let's agree that you need to stay on the air and keep on sucking. Praise God and hail Lord Nimrod and go team Bojangles. I love that so much, man. Thank you, Samuel. Love you too, buddy. This is what I hoped in dream time so it could be. A place for people of different backgrounds, different beliefs, atheists, Christians, Muslims, whatever. You know, I have listeners who are straight, gay, bi, white, black, transgender, everything else, bonding over a shared curiosity and part of what it means to be human, just to be curious about the world around you and why people act the way they act, believe what they believe, why things have happened, what makes shit tick. And not some surfacey level of suck either, deep suck. You know, we're all just people, man, curious people. And you people are so good, sometimes you almost make me believe I'm a warm, jovial, people-loving person myself. That's how great you time suckers make me feel. I'll get worried that I'm not going to be able to be dark and, you know, fucking some kind of malcontent anymore, which has been my identity for so long. But then I'll run into other people who are not time suckers. I'll run into the non-curious, those committed to ignorance and hate of what they refuse to understand. And I'll think, oh, no, 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 I love my tribe. But fuck these other motherfuckers. All right? So, all right. Let's uh, let's segue uh, out of all this love and sense of community to some seriously fucked up stuff. Oh my god, uh, I think I understand you guys. Not sure I will ever fully understand Dahmer. Let's get into it. Next time, suckers, I needed that. We all did. Wikipedia defines a serial killer as typically a person who murders three or more people, usually in service of abnormal psychological gratification with the murders taking place over over more than a month and including a significant break a cooling off period between them well jeffrey dahmer definitely fits into that description he killed 17 people there were cooling off periods uh he murders absolutely for psychological gratification uh the dsm-5 diagnostic and statistical manual of mental disorders doesn't actually have a definition for serial killer because it's not a mental disease it's a series of actions uh the most broadly recognized mental disorder associated with serial killing is antisocial personality disorder apd characterized by a pattern of disregard for and violation of the rights of others the symptoms of antisocial antisocial personality disorder can vary in severity uh severity the the more uh uh, egregious, harmful, or dangerous, uh, the behavior patterns uh, are referred to as sociopathic or psychopathic. Antisocial personality disorder is much more common in males than females. The highest prevalence 
of antisocial personality disorder is found among males who abuse alcohol or drugs or who are persons in prisons or other forensic settings. Well, Dahmer, as you'll soon find out, uh, abused alcohol tremendously from a very early age. And he was a dude, so he fits, you know, the mold, fits a lot of the criteria. He also, as you'll soon find out, had absolutely no regard for the welfare of his victims, like zero, zero remorse. Uh, Symptoms of antisocial personality disorder include disregard for society's laws, check on Dahmer, numerous arrests for some super creepy shit, uh, violation of the physical or emotional rights of others. Uh, well, you know, he raped, tortured, killed, ate some of his victims, so I think he qualifies for that. Uh, lack of stability in job and home life. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Long periods of unemployment. Uh, a lot of movement in his you know, home life. Uh, irritability and aggressiveness. Yes, again, very aggressive with his victims. Lack of remorse. Zero. Uh, consistent irresponsibility. Absolutely. Dude, this uh, Dahmer mooched off his family for most of his adult life, uh, living with his, off his dad and his grandmas, we'll find out, wasting their money, uh, didn't seem to care about that. Uh, recklessness, impulsivity, uh, yeah, he made a, very, a few very impulsive and reckless uh, kills. Deceitfulness, definitely on Dahmer, uh, lied to his family constantly, very good at lying to the police, got him out of some jams as we'll find out. Uh, childhood diagnosis or symptoms consistent with conduct disorder. Now, he never took uh, uh, a psychological exam as a kid, so who knows on that one, but probably, but probably. But most of these people will never kill, you know, most of these antisocial personality types. So certainly not as prolifically as Dahmer. So what made him different? Well, you know, psychologists aren't sure what causes antisocial personality disorder, how to even treat it. It's only about 3% of men and about 1% of women believed to have it. Uh, Much higher percentages do exist among the prison population, uh, Dahmer himself was diagnosed with this disorder at his trial. He was also diagnosed with paraphilia, uh, a condition characterized by abnormal sexual desires, typically involving extreme or dangerous activities, necrophilia, sexual intercourse with or attraction towards corpses, partialism, which I had not heard of uh, before. It's an emphasis of sexual interest upon one part of the body, a form of fetishism uh, in which the sexual stimulus is a part of the body. Uh, as pictures of feet. Well, we'll find out he had that in a very strange, dark way. Uh, he was uh, diagnosed as suffering from alcoholism, a personality disorder not otherwise specified, and an unspecified sexual disorder. Basically, he's his own thing. You know, he's not just your typical antisocial personality disorder. So maybe that's why he went so much farther than most people who have that diagnosis or would have that. Uh, just like we're all like physically unique, we're, not, we're definitely all psychologically unique, and some of us are more unique than others. Some of us walk a little farther off the beaten path than others, and I think Dahmer walked so fucking far off the path, he, he forgot where the path was. Uh, he forgot there even was a path. He ended up becoming a slave to his strange, powerfully sadistic sexual urges, urges that were incredibly unique in their deviance. Like, you know, if you think it takes a lot to get you off in the bedroom, oh, you, you've got nothing on Dahmer. Uh, and then I just was thinking, though, like, was Dahmer truly insane, though? You know, he did go for an insanity defense. Uh, it wasn't it wasn't accepted by the court. And, and I definitely agree with the court. You know, when he asked, like, is, was Dahmer insane? I would say yes and no. You know, I, I think on the one hand, anyone who who's done what he's done uh, is insane just based on that alone. But but he he wasn't delusional. In, in that kind of sense of insanity. You know, he knew who he was. He, he knew what he was doing, why he wanted to do it on some level. Um, you know, he, he definitely made a great effort to not get caught. So he wasn't criminally insane. You know, it's not like he was following the orders, you know, some foreign voice was given him from within his head. It's not like, you know, he's thinking like the devil was telling him to eat people and stuff. No, he, he was in charge. You know, he, he, he was doing it on purpose, knew what he was doing was wrong. Uh, you know, he'd have sex with the corpse of a recent victim, but he'd put a condom on first. You know, he had this weird pragmatic 
quality to him that way. Uh, he wasn't some slobbering, delusional, cartoonish monster. He, he was scarier than that to me because he was a person not unlike you and me in many respects. He cared about his family, cared about his family's opinion of him. Uh, he tried to hold down a job, liked to watch TV and movies, had friends in high school. He's a, he's a prankster. You know, but w- whereas you and I uh, get off on consensual sex, I, I hope. That didn't do it for Dahmer, and life really started to change for him as, as he kind of went through puberty and came into his sexual identity. He realized that he just got off on control, uh, control and just uh, gore, actually. It's such a strange combination, and that specifically is what made him a monster, this aspect of his personality. Like, you know, the way the way you may crave oral sex, maybe a little bondage, maybe you want your, maybe you want your ass spanked from time to time, you know? Maybe you're a dude who really gets off on uh, uh, interesting lingerie, you know, you want a, you know, a certain kind of look. Well, well, Dahmer, he craved total control. That was that was his thing. He didn't just want to rape you. He want you know he, he he wanted to rape you and then kill you and then rape you again. That's what did it for him. He got aroused keeping your head in the fridge so he could degrade you later whenever he felt like getting off. He could he could you know have your uh, forced company. He got aroused eating your your bicep muscles. You know he got aroused tearing the flesh from your bones. Seriously. And somehow, just like being attracted to some heels and black lace panties might do it for you, uh, maybe some boots and a skirt, you know, no panties does it for me, you know, uh, and, and that attraction is completely, you know, acceptable uh, to you, you know, if mine is completely acceptable to me. Dahmer knew what did it for him and found that acceptable in, in, a, in a way as well, as hard as that may be to understand, you know, he was almost like, yeah, okay, that's what does it for you, well, this is what does it for me. And I, I remember that the first actual real term paper I did in high school was a paper about Dahmer. Uh, that trial was still fresh in people's minds uh, when I was in uh, the, at the end of high school there. I can't remember what I wrote, and uh, I, wish I, I wish I could find it. I tried to look it up. I guess I tossed it out. But but after researching this time suck, I can't believe my teacher even allowed me to do it. Man, because this is going to get dark. It's going to get so dark. Uh, but first, before we go real, real dark, let's start off with the innocence of early youth, of childhood. And Dahmer's childhood was innocent. Uh, so let's get into it with a little time suck timeline. Strap on those boots, soldier. We're marching down a time-suck timeline. May 21st, 1960. Jeffrey Lionel Dahmer is born to Joyce and Lionel Dahmer. He's their first child, and by all accounts, they were a normal, well-adjusted family living in the Milwaukee, Wisconsin suburb of West Allis. Uh, Jeffrey's parents were native Wisconsinites who had family in the area. Family were able to watch young Jeffrey while they were at work. Uh, Lionel was working on some advanced degrees in chemistry when Jeffrey was born. Uh, Joyce had a difficult pre- pregnancy uh, with Jeffrey and, and may have suffered from postpartum depression, which may not have made her the most affectionate mother when young Jeffrey, but she with young Jeffrey, but she wasn't abusive. Uh, she worked as a teletype machine instructor, teletypes being kind of an early precursor to computers, fancy typewriter, basically. Uh, these weren't a pair of meth addicts letting their 18 semi-feral fucking tabby cats raise their kid, you know? They aren't, they aren't molesting them. Aren't, aren't beating them down with some super strict uh, religious orthodoxy. They're, they're conservative, but, you know, conservative in a normal 1960s American Midwest kind of way. And they're no dummies. They're smart people. Uh, work and school might not have given them all the time they wanted to, to watch young Jeff uh, and spend time with him. But if parental neglect because of work, you know, created serial killers, uh, I think most of us would be serial killers. 1962, uh, Lionel Dahmer receives an assistantship to study for his Ph.D. at Iowa State University in Ames, Iowa. Uh, this was perfect for the family. Ames was a day's drive from Milwaukee, you know, so they were able to head back on the weekends, to, you know, to visit their family there. 
1966, uh, when Jeffrey is six years old, Lionel earns his PhD in chemistry from Iowa State University. Lionel gets a job as an analytical chemist for the city of Akron, Ohio, and the family re- relocates to Doylestown, Ohio, a little suburb just outside of Akron, in October 1966. The new job gives the family um, some you know, uh, nice financial stability, allows Joyce to stay home when they have their second child, David Dahmer, uh, who's born in December of 1966. Uh, good job, two kids home in the suburbs, man. Life seems pretty ideal for the Dahmers. Uh, however, their marriage is crumbling after the birth of uh, David. Uh, the Dahmers fight all of the time, move to separate bedrooms for quite a while. Um, so, you know, there's definitely some discord in the home. But again, I mean, hey, you know, it's, it's sad reality. That's, that's fucking a lot of our childhoods. 1968, the family moves to another suburb around Akron. Uh, it's called Bath Township. An eight-year-old Dahmer begins to become fascinated with dead animals, which doesn't creep his father out. It's maybe, uh, maybe as much as it should have because of Lionel's scientific background. He figures his son just has a scientific curiosity about the world around him, about animals. He's, he's not killing them. You know, not, not at first at least, but when he finds dead animals, you know, a uh, young Dahmer wants to take them apart. See what makes them tick. Check out their insides. You know, just fucking boy stuff. <laughs> Lionel even shows his son uh, how to bleach animal bones to preserve them, uh, a skill Jeffrey would later use in an attempt to preserve the bones of his human victims. Uh, Lionel was, uh, you know, probably just following the advice of the old saying with his kid, which is, I'm, I'm sure you've heard this quote. It's just, uh, give your kid a bleach bone and you'll turn him into a creep for a day. Uh, teach your kid to bleach bones, and he'll unleash unholy horrors on uh, the patrons of Milwaukee gay bars for years to come. All right, well, that, that, all right, actually, that, that may not be an old saying. That may be just something I just made up. Um, but yeah, so 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 weird, you know, weird that he's into the, the dead animal thing. Um, Dahmer did begin to exhibit cruelty to animals around this time as well. In second grade, he, he brought a bucket of tadpoles to class, gave it to his best friend as a present. And when the kid didn't want the tadpoles, Dahmer brought them back home and dumped motor oil into the bucket and killed all the tadpoles. Early sign of a lack of empathy or uh, early sign of not being good at feeding tadpoles or confusion as to which kind of tadpoles he had. Maybe he thought he had cyborg tadpoles that ran on motor oil. Pro- probably the lack of empathy on that. Uh, and then other than a strange interest in, interest in dead animals, uh, nothing else to note really happens during Jeffrey's grade school and junior high years. There was thing, if, if, if you're doing some follow-up on this and you, you've come across some stuff where – there's, uh, oh, like rumors that Jeffrey was molested. That was said by his father. That's highly disputed. Uh, after his arrest, uh, Jeff was was pretty open about what had happened to him, and he just said that that did not. Um, but he did admit to being victimized in other ways later as an adult, so I don't know why he would admit to some things and hide that. I, I don't think that happened. Uh, he's quiet, a bit of a loner as a kid, uh, but viewed as bright by teachers. His grades are average, but this is seen as, as resulting from a lack of effort rather than a lack of intellect. No one knows yet that Dahmer not only has interest in dead animals, but is sexually aroused by them as he begins puberty. Makes me think of that other old saying, you know, keep an eye on the kid who has his eyes on some roadkill while he has a boner sticking out of his sweatpants. I'm not sure who said that one. I think it was uh, Henry David Thoreau. Uh, 1974, uh, Dahmer begins attending uh, Revere High School in Bath, Ohio. Now, the Revere Mindentmen, notable alumni in addition to Dahmer, include Larry Nance Jr., Current power forward for the Lakers after being selected with the 27th pick of the 2015 NBA draft. Out of the University of Wyoming, son of Larry Nance, three-time NBA All-Star who averaged 17.1 points a game over 13 seasons in the NBA with the Phoenix Suns and the Cleveland Cavaliers. Carl Smesko also graduated from Revere High School, current head coach of the Florida Gulf Coast University women's basketball team. Actress Caitlin Black, most known for playing Annabeth Nass in the CW comedy drama series Heart of Dixie. And Super Bowl champion center for the 2000 St. Louis Rams backup center, but still, 
He's got a fucking ring. So you get the idea. You know, uh, typical American suburban high school. A lot of, lot of, lot of cool people coming out of there. Uh, Dahmer, uh, I think he was actually on the list on Wikipedia as well. They did, they did go ahead and include him. Uh, some kids Dahmer went to school with described him as a loner. Others described him as a class clown, known for pulling pranks. Acquaintances require uh, uh, recall uh, Dahmer drawing chalk outlines of fictional bodies. Uh, creepy, consider what he ended up doing later. Faking epileptic fits at the mall, yelling out at inappropriate times, sneaking into the picture of the National Honor Society when he when he didn't belong there. He's, he was such a goofball, his friends would refer to others doing something outrageous and stupid as doing a Dahmer. Oh, man, you're just doing a Dahmer. That takes a fucking whole other meaning now. Whole, not, as, not as playful and carefree when you say someone's doing a Dahmer now. Uh, he, he briefly played on the tennis team and the school band. Uh, seemed like he had a fairly normal high school experience other than an excessive amount of drinking. He supposedly hit a flask, uh, hit a flask in his locker and drank before, during, and after school. Uh, supposedly regularly brought like a pint of liquor to school, called alcohol his medicine. Even other high school kids who drank, maybe partied a bit, thought Dahmer drank uh, a little bit much, like a, like a ton. He was a functional alcoholic by the age of 14. That always just amazed me. I, I just would, I would never have been able to pull that off. Oh my God, I, everyone would just know I was drunk. I guess I did come to high school stoned a few times and, you know, intensely paranoid that everyone knew what I was doing, but I just can't imagine every fucking day at that age. Oh man. Uh, and he was able to do that, uh, kind of partly because it was the seventies, you know, he got caught drinking once at high school, just got a warning, verbal warning. This, this is a time when in most states you could drink at the age of 18. People didn't take it all that seriously. Uh, Dahmer's high school teachers described him as polite and quiet, got average grades, seemed disinterested in most of his classes. The one subject that did really hold his attention, which, which in hindsight is not surprising at all, was biology. Uh, specifically, he loved dissecting animals. Uh, and again, his dad was happy that he was just excited about something. I think I'd be seriously worried if the only thing my fucking weird son was suddenly jacked up about was cutting up carcasses. Uh, one creepy thing he did was to keep uh, – uh, he, he took the skeleton of a fetal pig he dissected home and then preserved it and kept it on display. That's, that is fucking creepy to me. Uh, Dahmer later said in a prison interview that uh, from the pig, uh, I just started branching out. Dogs, cats. I suppose it could have turned into a normal hobby like taxidermy, but it didn't. All right, first off, taxidermy, not a normal hobby. I'm not saying it's a bad hobby if you do I'm not saying you're some monster, but it's fucking creepy. Admittedly, I, I, I love it when people get weird with taxidermy, you know, start mixing animals, you know, making some, making some new creations like, like jackalopes, rabbits with antler horns, or maybe a squirrel head on a crab body. I've seen that one. Bird head on a turtle body. That's, that's just funny to me because it's so ridiculous. But if you're a dude who's just super passionate about making corpses look like they're still alive, you're fucking creepy. You know you are. You know you are. And second, where was he getting these dogs and cats? Is he cutting up roadkill or is he abducting pets, murdering them, and then dissecting them? Wish the interviewer would ask that question. Uh, Dahmer did say after getting captured years later that he started to fantasize uh, around this time about wanting to dissect and preserve humans. Ugh. Why did he do it? Dahmer would later say, uh, I wanted to see what the insides of these animals looked like. And it, it, again, it, it turned him on. He'd say, there was a general excitement to me. It became a compulsion. And it switched from animals to humans. How weird that must be to be entering your adolescence, you know, which is a weird time for all of us, figuring out what you like to jerk off to. And all of a sudden, you get a boner when you're dissecting animals. Because it's not like you tried to get a boner. It's not like anyone picks that. In a, in a weird way, although I'm so glad that he was, you know, that he's no longer uh, with us. And I wish he would have been caught earlier. I do have pity for Dahmer. Because he was just such a fucking maniac. 
I have pity uh, pity for him more than some serial killers I've read about because you read about his adolescence and it's like, who would pick in, no one would pick like, you know what I'm going to be turned on by? Fucking cutting up animals. That's what's going to give me some wood. That is, ah, that just puts you (laughs) on the very edge of the fringe of society. Why would, and you know, and, uh, and he knew it was fucked up. He knew these feelings were fucked up as a kid. And it was a big part of the reason he, he drank so much. Uh, man, looking back again, I'm so thankful. I have, I have normal society accepted urges, you know, out of the gate. I was lucky, man. Nude photos of women did it for me. And if I couldn't find porn, there was the bra section of the J.C. Penny catalog. Loved it. And if I couldn't find that, there was uh, some National Geographic's mm-hmm, Native Women. And if I couldn't find that, there was doing my best to remember the photos I'd seen. Neighbor lady. So, you know, fairly normal stuff. Maybe a little voyeuristic, uh, but fairly normal. Uh, another reason Dahmer drank so much in high school was to suppress other sexual urges. He also realized uh, he was homosexual, didn't think his conservative uh, family would approve, so he tried to drink the thoughts away. Dahmer also remembers having sexual fantasies about violence early in high school, age 14 or 15, he said. I started having obsessive thoughts about violence intermingled with sex, and it just got worse and worse. I never dreamed it would become a reality. Well, before we find out exactly how much worse it got for Dahmer, uh, let's check in with today's sponsor. Today's episode of Time Stuck is brought to us by Audible. Audible content includes an unmatched selection of audiobooks, original audio shows, news, comedy, and more from the leading audiobook publishers, broadcasters, and entertainers around. And with free apps for the iPhone, iPad, Android, and Windows Phone, you can download and listen no matter where you are, plus Unlike a streaming or rental service, with Audible, you own your books, so you can refer back to them in your library whenever you want. Or if you don't like one of your books, you can swap it for a new one thanks to Audible's Great Listen Guarantee. I relied heavily this week on the Audible title, Jeffrey Dahmer, A Terrifying True Story of Rape, Murder, and Cannibalism, written by Jack Rosewood and narrated by David White. If you need uh, more Dahmer details after this episode... That is the audiobook you need to listen to. That's where you need to go. I also liked how listening to an audiobook this week, instead of just reading articles and books, helped me with my little pronunciation mishaps. It was nice to hear uh, nefarious pronounced correctly as opposed to nefarious the way I've been saying it for years. Uh, thanks to Time Sucker Casey and his email for pointing that out as well. And Audible is offering all you Time Suckers a free audiobook with a 30-day free trial membership. So go get it. Who doesn't like free? Just go to audible.com slash timesuck and browse the unmatched selection of audio programs. Download a title for free just like I did with Dahmer Book, uh, my Dahmer Book this week. Use my own promo code for that one and start listening. It's that easy. Again, go to audible.com slash timesuck. That's audible.com slash timesuck and get started today. All right, June 18th, 1978, the first murder. Mm-hmm. Shortly after graduating from high school, Dahmer got a chance to turn these fantasies he's been having into a reality, uh, and he took that chance. Dahmer's parents had just separated or were in the process of getting a divorce. While doing so, both of them move out of the family home in Bath, Ohio, and his mom takes younger brother David with her. Dahmer has the house to himself. No job, no school, no one to monitor him. And then one day, uh, driving home from the liquor store, again, dude loved to drink, had already been drinking all morning. Uh, he's driving past, uh, uh, an attractive shirtless 18 year old hitchhiker named Stephen Hicks and he decides to pull over. It was a dream come true for Jeff. Hicks was on his way to a concert in Cleveland. Jeff talked him into heading back to his place for a few drinks before he moved on. Uh, Stephen took him up on that offer and headed back with Dahmer to the Dahmer home. After a few drinks, Dahmer tried to put the moves on Stephen, but Stephen wasn't gay and he wasn't having it. 
He tries to leave. They struggle for a bit. Uh, in addition to drinking all the time, Dahmer also lifted weights. Had an interesting combination there. And he, and he wasn't a small dude. He was six foot tall, about 180 pounds. Had a fairly athletic build. And, uh, but Stephen wasn't a little fella himself, and he was able to push past uh, Dahmer. And then Jeffrey did something very impulsive that would change his life forever and end Stephen's life immediately. When Stephen turned his back on Jeff and headed towards the door, Dahmer grabbed a 10-pound dumbbell, slammed it into the back of Stephen Hicks's head, crushing his skull and killing him instantly. And now he had a dead body in the middle of his parents' house. No one around, no one headed over anytime soon. Not even neighbors could see into his driveway to know he had someone over there. Also, in the age before cell phones, no one knew that Stephen had even met Jeff. No witnesses saw him pick up Stephen. Nothing. No leads for the police to, to follow up on, you know, when, when Stephen's family would inevitably realize he was missing. Jeff had what he'd been fantasizing about for years now, a human body to do whatever he wished to, you know. And for the first victim, the first thing he wished to do was jerk off. Uh, apparently, uh, he never had sex with Hicks's corpse, but he did lay next to it and then masturbate, which seems almost creepier somehow to me. Somehow weirder. Like you kill somebody, uh, their dead body turns you on, no one's around, and you want to have sex with it, but then you're like, ah, that's, 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 too, that's too much. I know that seems disrespectful. I can't. I can't. It just, yeah, it feels rude. It feels, it feels rude, but I am horny, so I, yeah, I guess I can just lay here and jerk off a little bit. Ah, fuck, that's creepy. And then Dahmer uh, starts to clean up the crime scene, uh, which also turned him on. He you know, made note of that in his mind. You know, uh, For most serial killers, body disposal was a chore. It was not the fun part. Uh, for Dahmer, it was definitely part of the fun part. Dahmer, uh, he was unusual that way. He, he didn't dump bodies in the woods like maybe a Gary Ridgway, uh, the Green River Killer, for example. Dahmer uh, dragged Hicks's body in, uh, uh, into, the, into the bathtub and just dissected it. He took his time because he's, he said he enjoyed it. Uh, he buried Hicks's remains in, in, in the crawl space under the family home before his dad came home to visit. And uh, gave him some time to think about how to get rid of the rest later when his dad left. Uh, when his dad did leave, Dahmer dug up the remains, dissolved what was left with acid, and then flushed it down the toilet. Then he took the bones. The acid wouldn't dissolve. I had some hydrochloric acid. Uh, smashed them with a sledgehammer into tiny pieces, sprinkled these pieces around the yard. Man, his paying attention in science class uh, and, and having a scientist for a father, I guess, paid off when it came to body disposal. You know, and just like that, Stephen Hicks vanished from the planet. Dahmer had gotten away with murder, and now there was no going back. However, he was worried about the accidental nature of the killing, and he knew that if he killed like that again, he could you know, easily get caught. And, and, he, and he didn't really want to kill, uh, he would start to think about. What, what he really wanted uh, was to have a sex life, and it would be a while before he got another opportunity to, to try and get one. Uh, his parents' divorce was finalized that summer. His dad moves back into the house with him. His dad's concerned about his son's drinking and Jeff's lack of career ambition, and then Lionel Dahmer uh, convinces Jeffrey to enroll in classes at Ohio State University. Dahmer the Buckeye. Uh, not listed among their notable alumni. Weird. Dahmer uh, doesn't last long in college. His dad pays for a full year in advance, and then Dahmer just basically hangs out alone in his dorm room, dorm room for a few months and just gets fucking hammered by himself all the time. Uh, Lionel uh, isn't going to fund this uh, bill anymore, and faced with either moving back at home and having to get a job and have to listen to his dad's shit or going to join the Army, Dahmer decides to join the Army in late 1978. Like the very end of the year. So then in early 1979, uh, Dahmer completes basic training in a station at Fort McClellan in Anniston, Alabama, before transferring to Fort Sam Houston in San Antonio, Texas. Uh, life in the Army seems to work initially for Dahmer. You know, he gets along with most of his peers, gets, a, gets a, a above average reports from his superior officers. He's not getting drunk all the time. But then after he completes training as a medical specialist, he transfers to uh, Bombholder, Germany, and his old demons reemerge. He starts drinking all the time again. His service record starts to decline. 
Uh, he's assigned to work with another medic, Preston Davis, and years after Dahmer was arrested and sent to prison for multiple murders, Preston came forward to say that Dahmer had drugged and raped him inside an armored personnel vehicle. Dahmer's still looking for that immobile sexual plaything. Davis was uh, embarrassed to report it at the time, and at the time, the military didn't have a great reputation for dealing with sexual predators. Uh, even worse of a reputation than many believe it has now, uh, and he doesn't say anything. Davis gets transferred and is replaced by a 17-year-old from Arkansas, Billy Joel Capshaw, and uh, the raping al- allegedly intensifies. For oh, Man, this is for Capshaw. It began the day he and Dahmer, again, the Army medic, were put into a room together, and the assaults apparently began uh, at once. And, and eventually, uh, this uh, Capshaw w- would leap from the third floor window of this room that they were working in to escape. Uh, he said later, I had probably been raped eight to ten times. I don't know. He, he was trying, tying me to the bunk with motor pool rope. Uh, he took all my clothing from me. He would either beat me before he raped me or he would beat me after. Eventually, Capshaw was taken to the dispensary for a test with what they uh, uh, called a rape kit to see if he was telling the truth. The doctor did nothing. He was sent back to the room. Uh, I was there for another 17 months with Jeff being raped and tortured. He learned 10 years later that the rape kit and the results were just discarded. He says they threw me to the docks. So, wow. So Dahmer is, uh, you know, doing some crazy shit over in Germany in the military. And then in uh, 1981, he's given an honorable discharge from the military. Uh, probably the only tar- time the term honorable would ever be used in association with Dahmer. And it still didn't actually apply. Uh, he never confessed to any of the murders uh, or to any murders while in the military. Maybe just didn't think he'd be able to get away with it. Despite uh, shortcomings in the realm of sexual assaults, murder is definitely uh, frowned upon in the Army, which is somewhat ironic since at the end of the day, the Army is paid, amongst other things, to, you know, uh, to kill, uh, which I fully support, by the way. That was not a critique. Uh, the world's never ran on peace and flowers. Historically, pacifism has worked out about as well as fucking communism. Great in theory. Great in theory. Uh, after getting booted from the Army, uh, Dahmer is too embarrassed to face his father, takes the military's free discharge ticket to a city of his choosing, and he uses it to head to Miami, get away from those hard Midwest winters. He takes a job at a deli, Sunshine Subs. It's what an interesting place for Dahmer to work. Um, rents a small apartment near the beach uh, where there's a very good chance, you know, he'd probably groove out to, I keep forgetting we're not in love anymore. I keep forgetting things will never be the same again. That song, released by Michael motherfucking McDonald in 1982, peaked at number four on the Billboard pop charts. It was featured on If That's What It Takes, Triple M's debut studio solo album after leaving the Doobie Brothers the previous year. The album itself would peak at number six on the U.S. Billboard charts and receive a gold certification after selling well over 100,000 copies. Okay, (laughs) yeah, I didn't do it to you last week. I felt like you were due. But after a while, uh, Dahmer's drinking gets him in trouble again. And the sunshine subsuits have had enough. And Dahmer gets fired from missing shifts and showing up drunk. Yep. E- yep. Even as fucking cool as the people at Sunshine Subs are. They sound like a cool place to work. You gotta show up to work sometimes. You can't. And then when you do show up occasionally, you can't be drunk when you do show up. Dahmer doesn't give a fuck. Uh, more time for him to get drunk on the beach. Uh, but Dahmer's landlord does give a fuck. Uh, when he can't pay rent because he's blowing all his money on booze. And he gets evicted in the fall of 1981. After trying to live on the streets, taking it to the streets, uh, <laughs> Dahmer finally broke down and called his dad. In late September 1981, Dahmer moved back to Ohio to live with his dad, who had remarried. Jeffrey was expected to find a job and help out around the house. Instead, he went out and blew his dad's money getting drunk while pretending to look for a job. Mm. Lionel was furious when he found out. 
Yeah, I would be too. Uh, Jeffrey promised to clean up his act, and then a short time later, uh, he gets arrested and charged with drunk and disorderly conduct after police find him wandering around downtown hammered, harassing people. Uh, that December, Lionel sent Jeffrey to go live with Jeffrey's grandma, Lionel's mother, in suburban Milwaukee in December of 1981. And it was at Grandma's house, uh, 2357 South 57th Street in West Dallas, Wisconsin, where Dahmer would kill three more young men. Lionel hoped that having to help take care of Grandma Catherine would give Jeffrey some sort of purpose in life. Instead, it just gave him a place to lure uh, young dudes to an early and painful death. Now, Dahmer uh, was told to look for a job again, and this time he not only looked, he got a job. He got a job as a, a phlebotomist at the Milwaukee Blood Plasma Center. While working at the Plasma Center, Dahmer once tried to fulfill his murderous urges in a non-homicidal way by taking home a liter of blood and drinking it. Apparently he thought it tasted delicious, and he wanted more, but he's afraid to get caught and get fired. God, plasma centers do have s- some uh, interesting characters as them. I-, I used to go to one in college all the time. Uh, <laughs> I remember it was it was this win win with uh, with drinking, where you know I didn't have much money, and uh, I-, I would I would sell plasma. I would give them part of my blood uh, to get beer money, and it was great. Like like if I did it on like a Friday, it was perfect because then I, I would have less blood, so I would get drunk faster, uh, and-, and have to drink less to get drunk. So I would save money. Uh, on on the alcohol and have money to buy more alcohol, and, and uh, such a crazy binge drinking cult. I can't imagine doing that now. Like in college, it was so insane. But um, I remember that one of the funniest things that happened to me or around me when I was in college that I would just crack up about all the time to this day is my buddy Paul uh, would go with me to the plasma centers. Like the two of us, you know, was my best buddy in college. We would go to these plasma centers. And, and sometimes we would do it earlier in the week too, and sometimes we did it on, on a Wednesday. And we had this Wednesday night uh, class together one semester, Sociology 101. It was a 6 p.m. to 9 p.m. once a week class. And it would give like a little 10 break kind of intermission in the middle because it was so long, everybody's sitting there. And, you know, and Paul was a, you know, he was a, a studious person. He would show up to class all the time. And then one day he doesn't show up to sociology. And I'm like, you know, this is pre-cell phone uh, when everybody had cell phones. And so I just, I couldn't just text him like, hey, dude, what the, what the fuck? Where are you? And it was just weird. I'm like, where is this guy? Where is this guy? And then about 50 minutes before before the intermission, Paul Paul staggers into class, and he's so pale. He is so, like, white. And he has dirt and, like, grass clippings on the side of his face, and he had, like, a fleece jacket, and it's there's, like, dirt and stuff, shit all over the fucking back of it, like, pieces of grass and leaves. And I'm just like, what? I'm like, mouth. I'm like, what happened to you? And he just seems out of it. He seems out of it. Well, you know, a few minutes later, intermission hits, and I go ask him, like, dude, what happened? And it, tur- <laughs> it turned out he had given he had given too much plasma. I don't know, you know, it, maybe he just didn't eat before or something. And there was this huge in Spokane, Washington. This place was right next to Division Street, one of these big major streets. And he's trying to cross that after giving plasma. And mid-crossing a ma- <laughs> major street, he starts to pass out. Like the lights start to go dim. So he said he just, you know, he's got his fucking backpack on. He must have just looked like such a ridiculous character. Uh, he's got long hair at this time, skinny guy. And he's he's got his little uh, like burglar kind of cap on his head. And he's and he just starts kind of shuffling to the side of the road. So he can just he just wants to make it off to the side of the road. And he barely makes it off the road. And then there was one of those ditches, you know, where they have for water runoff, whatever. And he just like passes out as he hits the side of the road and just tumbles into the fucking ditch. And then just, you know, from about uh, 
6 o'clock to about, you know, 7.15, he's just passed out in a ditch on the side of the road. And then he fucking wakes up <laughs> and thinks, well, I should still go to class. I can't miss a whole week's worth of class, you know? And he just showed up looking like, oh, so out of it. God, that was a funny visual. I laughed so fucking hard when he told me that story. Ah, uh, I hope that wasn't just funny to me. But anyway, so yeah, Dahmer, I can, and, and, I, and I would say there were so many creepy characters. I remember one dude tried to get me to go on some drug run with him. Some dude I didn't know at all, just sitting in the bed next to me, getting his blood drawn. There was always fucking weirdos at that place. So I can totally picture Dahmer working at a place like that. Uh, well, 1982, uh, Dahmer gets uh, arrested. Uh, he begins, he begins uh, for his first sex, sex crime. He's already been, you know, caught by the police once. For being drunk. Now it's a little further. August 6, 1982. Dahmer would get arrested for his first yes, sex crime at a local fair. He's walking around drinking from a bottle by himself like the absolute social deviant creep he was. And Dahmer decides it would be fun at some point to take his pants off and show his dick to a large group of women and children. Uh, the police did not think it was fun and they charged Dahmer with a sex crime that he plea bargained down to drunk and disorderly conduct. Uh, ended up only having to pay 50 bucks, $50 fine. That's it. That's the going rate, apparently, for showing your dick to kids at a fair in the early 80s, Wisconsin. Elephant ear, $1. Cotton candy, $1. Cheeseburger, $1.50. Forcing some kids and moms to see your dick behind the tilt whirl 50 bucks. Huh. Uh, well, when he wasn't showing his dick to kids, Dahmer also tried to join in the Milwaukee's thriving gay nightlife scene, but instead of hitting on dudes and enjoying consensual sex like someone who's well-adjusted and not a sadistic fucking maniac, uh, Dahmer went back to his old army dating techniques, drugging and raping. Uh, in addition to drugging dudes, he met at bars. He also started going to bathhouses, drugging dudes there. Uh, did it so much, so much drugging, uh, he'd eventually be banned from one of Milwaukee's bathhouses, club bath, uh, word got out there. And Dahmer was blacklisted from the whole bathhouse scene. Uh, also in the early 80s, uh, Milwaukee, uh, in Milwaukee, Dahmer once uh, walked past a department window late one night while he was hammered, like usual, Dahmer being Dahmer, and saw a mannequin uh, in some department store window he thought was hot. <laughs> so he, he busted the window, took the mannequin back to grandma's. He ris- risked arrest to get this fucking mannequin, takes it back to grandma's house. Takes it up to his bedroom and uses it to satisfy his sexual urges for a perfectly uh, still sexual partner because that's what he desired. Sadly, the interviewer uh, asking him about this mannequin uh, did not did not ask him if he had drilled a, a hole uh, for its butthole or like a or like a hole where its mouth was. You know, did Dahmer's mannequin have a butthole? That's one of the great questions of our time that will never be answered. Uh, having sex, uh, whatever kind of sex he has, this mannequin uh, trained Dahmer to dehumanize future victims. He would say. I train myself to view others as objects of pleasure instead of people. He does kind of talk like that, too. He talks no emotional affect. Uh, eventually, though, his grandma finds the mannequin and forces him to throw it away. Uh, so I'm guessing it did have a mouth uh, and butthole. You know, I don't think Grandma Catherine makes a grown man throw away a normal mannequin. I think it was a little modified. You know, Jeffrey, why, why do you have that mannequin in the closet? Uh, I've been thinking about a career as a tailor, Grandma, or perhaps a fashion designer. Oh, well, then why'd you drill a hole in its mouth? And why is this all greasy around its mouth? Um, uh, well, well, because... Take its pants off, Jeffrey. I want to see something. Jeffrey, does this mannequin have a greasy butthole? Uh, Grandma, please, I... You're no tailor. You you throw that sex doll in the dumpster, and and don't let the neighbors see you. I don't know my, my old people are always a little Southern. Uh, in hindsight, maybe Grandma should have let uh, Jeffrey keep the mannequin. You know, probably not, but maybe it would have satiated his sadistic urges a little while longer. I don't know. Uh, after he tossed out the mannequin, he got a new idea, started reading the obituary. 
dig up recently buried bodies of young men, you know, and have some new human corpse sex mannequins. Dahmer actually tried this, but soon realized, uh, basically immediately realized that digging up a body out of a cemetery is way fucking harder than it looks in like a movie. You don't, you don't get to knock it out in an hour with the garden shovel. So he, you know, he, so he gives up after starting, you know, on his first dig. 1994, after being unemployed for two years, after his phlebotomist position was eliminated, how the fuck do you pull that off? Young dude, just, just not getting a job for two years. Uh, you know, he worked there only for 10 months. Dahmer gets a job finally now working the graveyard shift, how fitting, at the Ambrosia Chocolate Factory, founded in Milwaukee in 1894 by Otto J. Schoenleber in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. According to buychocolate.com, Ambrosia has established a reputation as the most complete line of quality chocolate products for the bakery, confectionery, cereals, ice cream, dairy, food service, and retail private label markets in North America. Well, during the 80s, Ambrosia does have several hundred employees, which means they were making a lot of chocolate, which means uh, any of you listening who ate some chocolate in the 80s probably ate a little bit of Ambrosia chocolate, which means there's also not an altogether small chance you ate a little bit of Dahmer's chocolate. Chew on that. Chew on that. Uh, Dahmer would still be working at Ambrosia when he was finally arrested for murder in 1991. Wow. Uh, Dahmer and the Chocolate Factory. That is fucking creepy. Uh, on September 6, 1986, Jeffrey Dahmer would have his second run-in with police over some disturbing public nudity. Dahmer was walking along Milwaukee's uh, Kinney Kinnick River, also known as the KK River, not known as the KKK River. That's a very different river. Uh, drinking, creeping, lurking, like the complete fucking social deviant he was. Uh, walking along a stretch of the river frequented by junkies and hobos thinking about sex and murder. You know, again, just classic Dahmer. Just Dahmer being Dahmer. Uh, ideally, he'd stumble upon another hitchhiker like his, uh, and, and recreate that opportunity he found in his youth that summer after high school. But alas, uh, he just stumbled upon a couple of young boys playing along the river and thought, I guess, you know, how about I just whip my dick out and jerk off in front of these kids instead? Well, the kids were smart. They ran away. They told their folks, and the police were called. Dahmer, instead of fleeing, just thought, you know, why don't I just finish jerking off here on the muddy banks of the KK River and then enjoy the last of my fucking beer? Just a little more Pilsner, a little more jerking off. You know, because he's a classy dude. Uh, the police, they show up, charge Dahmer with lewd and lascivious behavior, a crime that in the state of Wisconsin uh, was a sex crime at that time. Uh, may still be now. definitely was then. He, but he plea bargains again, uh, pleads guilty to disorderly conduct, gets a small fine, and a year's probation. Um, you know, what the fuck? <laughs> I feel like jerking off on the riverbank in front of some kids should get you uh, mandatory jail time. Maybe some counseling. But what do I know? Uh, Jeff tells Grandma Catherine and Dad uh, that the boys were mistaken. You know, he was, he was just peeing, you, you guys. He was just urinating. Maybe those kids mistook his vigorous shaking of urine and white pee uh, coming out of his hard penis uh, for jerking off. You know, no, he's not. He's not a monster. He's just, you know, he just pees in a weird way. He likes to pee when his penis is erect, and he likes to pee a, a small amount of white liquid instead of yellow urine. Uh, so they they believe him. They believe he's not a monster. Probably just because they don't want to. You know, they don't want to fucking rationalize what he's becoming, or uh, have to admit what he's becoming. They want to rationalize it away. So. Uh, Second murder. Okay, let's get to that. 1987, nine years after his first murder, uh, Dahmer would kill again in 87. He later commented on the long cooling-off period, saying there just hadn't been an opportunity to do what I wanted to do. Uh, but then on the evening of September 15th, 1987, Dahmer met Steve Toomey at a bar called Club 219 in, in Milwaukee. Uh, they got hammered together. They left the bar to go to the nearby Ambassador Hotel in downtown Milwaukee after last call. Dahmer later said his plan was to drug Toomey and have sex with him, but then he woke up the morning of September 16th next to Toomey's lifeless corpse. He'd gotten blackout drunk and crushed Toomey's chest. There was blood coming out of Toomey's mouth. He'd strangled him, beaten him, 
to death. Dahmer was obviously worried he'd get caught, uh, but ever the cold, soulless killer, he made himself some coffee in the room, you know, just calmly shook off his hangover. Then, uh, this is crazy to me, he just went out, put a do not disturb sign on the door, walked to a nearby department store, bought a giant suitcase, headed back to the room before checkout time, uh, then just stuffed Toomey's body, uh, Toomey was a small man, into the suitcase, just wheeled him out of the hotel, all cash, into a taxi, and then off to grandmother's house they went. Wow. Luckily for Dahmer, uh, unfortunately for future victims, Grandma was asleep, and then Jeff took the suitcase down to the basement. And then while Grandma slept one floor above him, Jeffrey fucked uh, the corpse in the basement and then jerked off on it and then laid down next to it. Then Grandma's still asleep, uh, one floor away. Jeffrey cuts the flesh and guts from the bones, uh, throws all that in the garbage bag, smashes the bones with a hammer into the basement floor, grinding them into a fine powder, flushes the bone powder down the toilet. The whole process took a couple hours. Then he just cleaned up the basement, and all the evidence of a murder was gone. Except for two things. Steve Toomey's head and cock and balls. He saved those. Seriously. Seriously. He bleached the head in some strange attempt to preserve it, made some uh, sick preservation attempt with the genitals, tried to mummify them, and then kept them in a box in his bedroom closet. And then occasionally he'd bring the head out from time to time, or, or the genitals, genitals, and uh, and masturbated to them. <sighs> Uh, God knows what else. God knows exactly how he did that. I don't even, that is even too much for me to think about exactly what he was doing with those, those different puzzle pieces. Uh, where, where no, no, ah, okay. Shortly after this time, Dahmer's killing spree almost came to a premature end when his dad, worried about his son's constant drinking and previous run-ins with, run-ins with the law, decides to search his son's room and finds the box. He demands that Jeff, uh, Jeffrey unlock it. Jeff refuses. Uh, you know, then he goes into his room uh, takes the head and genitals out, replaces them with some porn he also had hidden in his room. And then the next morning, he tells his dad, all right, you know, go ahead. All right, I, I, I confess. Go ahead and open it. Lionel finds the porn, tells his son, mm-mm, mm, bad boy, Jeffrey. Tells him to throw it away, and that was the end of that. After the second murder, Dahmer knew uh, he uh, would absolutely kill again. He'd later confess, after the second time, it seemed like the compulsion to do it was too strong, and I didn't even try to stop after that. Well, 1988, he's going into full serial killer mode now. January 1988, Dahmer strikes again, returning to Club 219 to lure another young man back to Grandma's basement. Before going into the bar, he runs in to 14-year-old male prostitute, James Doxator. Jesus, man, as if this kid's life wasn't already hard enough. Fucking 14 years old, male prostitute, runs into Dahmer. Dahmer talks the kid into coming back to Grandma's house with him for some drinks and a nude photo shoot. This would kind of be his uh, pickup technique for the rest of his serial killing career. Uh, once there, they, they drink some beers, have sex in Dahmer's room. Doxator's drink is full of sleeping pills, and after he passes out, Dahmer strangles him to death and sexually violates his corpse, then takes Doxator's uh, body to the basement and dismembers and disposes of it again. March 24th, 1988, two months later, he lures another unsuspecting victim from Club 219, 23-year-old Richard Guero, to his grandma's house, and the night ends the same way. October 23rd, 1988, uh, Dahmer's reign of terror almost comes to an end. Uh, He meets Richard Flowers at a bar, brings it back to grandma's house, spikes his drink, but this time, before he can strangle Richard, his, he, his grandma's calling out for him. Uh, Catherine had heard them come home, wanted to remind Dahmer that he wasn't allowed to bring visitors home. Later. What a surreal sight. He's like mid-strangle, and then, you know, and then he just hears, like, some scene out of, like, Psycho, some Norman Bates shit. Just, Jeffrey! Jeffrey, what are those noises? I, I, what did I tell you? Well, uh, he's unable to kill Flowers uh, and get away with it, so he instead calls a cab for the heavily drugged Flowers, drives him to the hospital, dumps him off at the ER. Well, once Flowers comes to, he files a police report against Dahmer for being drugged, but the police don't take it seriously, and Flowers can't remember the exact address 
of Dahmer's house. So he avoids the police this time, but Grandma's had enough. She complains to Lionel, Dahmer's dad, about the late-night visitors and about the foul smells coming from the basement. Fuck. Uh, she's also sick of the drinking. She's, Jaffrey, I'm sick of the drinking and the, and the smells of rotting human flesh. I don't know which one I detest more. No, I'm sure, obviously, she did not know uh, what was down there. Uh, she kept finding empty liquor and beer bottles around the house, and it was time for Jeff to get a place of his own. Well, in September 1988, Jeff moves out. He gets an apartment at 808 North 24th Street in Wisconsin in walking distance of the Ambrosia Chocolate Factory. And then the night after he moves in, he does not fucking waste time. He meets a 13-year-old kid uh, from the neighborhood, tells him he's going to give him 50 bucks, takes some nude photos back at his place. Dude just says, fucking, he has no, no uh, qualms about age. Jesus. Uh, the kid agrees. Uh, Dahmer gives him a drink, laced with sleeping pills, and after a few sips, the kid begins to feel sick, and he runs off. Dahmer thought things would uh, just turn out like they did with Richard Flowers, and he lets the boy go. Well, it's different this time. The kid makes it home. The boy's parents take him to the hospital. After pumping his stomach, a doctor at the hospital reports the incident to the police, and then after questioning the boy, the police ha- uh, have the boy lead them back to Dahmer's apartment. Dahmer's not home. When they first get there, he's working at the Ambrosia Chocolate Factory, making some of that chocolate that you probably have had in your stomach. And then the police come back the next day. They locate and identify Dahmer. No plea bargain to drunk and disorderly this time. Jeffrey Dahmer is charged with exploitation of a minor and second-degree sexual assault. Well, he does get a reduced charge. He pleads guilty to felony sexual assault, agrees to serve a year in the county jail, and be placed on probation for five years and to register as a sex offender for the rest of his life. Well... March 25th, 1989, unable to pay his rent from jail. Before beginning his sentence, Dahmer moves back in with Grandma. God knows how he explained his recent charges to her and his dad. Oh, man. Then on March 25th, again, 1989, uh, he thought about, you know, a year was going to be a long time to go without being able to kill somebody again. So he lures another dude to Grandma's basement, 24-year-old Anthony Sears, a part-time model that Jeffrey had met in a bar, talked into, you know, taking him back home for some drinks. Uh, how did he fucking pull that off? He must he, obviously they say he was charismatic. He must have been strangely charismatic. Like, hey, I, I'm spending some time with my grandma. I mean, it's one thing to bring somebody back to your house from a bar. Another thing to bring him back to your fucking grandma's house when you're in your mid twenties. Uh, but he does. He gets him back, you know, with the lure of, uh, I guess, money for a nude photo shoot. Grandma's asleep this time. The two of them have consensual sex before Dahmer drugs and murders Sears. Then he gets rid of everything, and the way he does, except for. His head and cock and balls. Uh, Steve Toomey's head and genitals had, had not survived the test of time. As Dahmer had hoped, they'd become brittle from the bleaching. They'd, they'd been crumbling apart. I guess that was unacceptable for his sexual needs. So he, he tries out some new embalming techniques on Sears' head and genitals. And then, in a, in a ballsy move, dark pun intended, decides to keep Sears' balls, penis, and head in a box that he would keep in his employee locker at the chocolate factory. What the fuck? Although he'd start his one-year jail sentence in May, he'd have work release and be able to visit Sears parts during the day. Unbelievable! This guy is so dark and weird. He seems like a member of a different species. Well, uh, May 23rd, 1989, uh, Dahmer begins his year sentence. And according to prison officials, uh, he's a model inmate, I guess visiting, you know, his fucking cock and balls at his work locker, kept him calm. Uh, didn't get in fights, didn't revert back to his army days of raping other inmates. Um, ironically, though, uh, during his one furlough, uh, he's let out for 12 hours on Thanksgiving to see his family. Uh, he goes to a bar instead with the plan to rape and kill somebody. Ends up getting raped himself. Not joking. Uh, he gets blackout drunk, wakes up the next morning to someone sodomizing him with a candlestick. The guy was holding him down, wouldn't let him go, but then does let him go. How ironic is that? He doesn't get raped in jail, but he does get raped the one day he's let out of jail. I, I would feel sorry for him if he wasn't Jeffrey fucking Monster Dahmer. 
Uh, in March of 1990, uh, he's released from jail. By May, he has himself a new apartment near Ambrosia, near the Chocolate Factory at 924 North 25th Street, apartment number 213, an apartment that would become uh, uh, synonymous with torture, cannibalism, and death in Milwaukee. And he begins a 16-month reign of fucking terror on the city of Milwaukee that would end with his final arrest on July 2nd, 1991. Before we examine his final 12 murders, let's take a little look into what makes uh, someone like Dahmer tick in a little more in-depth and hop out of this timeline. Good job, soldier. You made it back. Barely. Well, Dahmer's jail sentence was a bit of a four-second cooling-off period for Dahmer, and once he got out, he never cooled off again. Uh, by the time Dahmer got out, he knew who he was. He knew he was a killer. He'd gotten away with killing and disposing of five young men already. He kept his most recent victim's head and genitals as a trophy he'd visited uh, almost daily for the past year. There was no rehabilitating him at this point, if there ever was before. Uh, there was only the hunt for more victims, the quest for the sex slave. Dahmer would say years later that killing wasn't his primary motivation. He just wanted a human body to do whatever he wanted, to, whenever he wanted to do it. He wanted a zombie. But since a sex zombie is impossible, you'd have to kill and kill again. And since he clearly was sexually stimulated by dismemberment and you don't get to continually dismember the same living person, he must have known on some level that he was going to have to continually kill forever to satisfy his dark sexual cravings. And, and while in jail, while he couldn't drink, Dahmer did spend some time lifting weights. Uh, you know, this is a guy who kills his victims by hand and now he's even uh, more physically suited to his dark task. Once back out of jail and into his new apartment, Dahmer appeared on the surface to be an ideal neighbor. Worked at night, slept during the day. He was quiet, kept to himself. Most of his neighbors never even saw him. Well, despite appearing to be a good neighbor, Dahmer began killing again almost immediately, days after moving in. On May 20th, he went out and picked up a 32-year-old prostitute, Raymond Smith. Invites him back home, then strangles him after having sex. Dismembers and disposes of Raymond's body, except for the bones, after a little necrophilia. And then he places some of Raymond's bones around the house's ornaments. Uh, and he keeps Raymond's head. Uh, which he paints gray, uh, unusual choice, and sticks in the fridge. Uh, a week later, lures another man back to his apartment, but then accidentally drinks the, the wrong drink. He drinks the spiked drink himself and passes out, wakes up to find his valuables missing. No word on if the thief ever saw the gray head in the fridge before bolting. That would be fucking weird. You know, you'd want to call the police, cause, but you did just rob a dude, so you don't want to turn yourself in. You know, I think you make an, an, an anonymous hotline call at that point. Not sure if it would be taken seriously, though. Um, I'm sorry, what, what color did you say the head was there, buddy? Gray. Okay. Gray, gray head in the, in the freezer or fridge, was it? Oh, all right. And possible penis and testicles as well. Were they also painted? Were they painted gray? Uh, no. Uh, oh, and he, and he had uh, some kind of uh, pinnacle board made out of a, a femur. <laughs> okay. Okay. How about you sleep off uh, whatever you've been shooting up and, and you call us back tomorrow there, friend. Okay. All right. Uh, talk to you later. Yeah, after this guy gets away, uh, Dahmer gets a little more sophisticated with security. Uh, made it a little harder for people to sneak away, installs extra locks on the doors to make it harder for people to get out, installs alarms on the door so he can hear it goes off if someone sneaks out when he's not looking. Dahmer would later reflect on his time from prison, saying that the more he killed, the more it took to satisfy his dark urges, the more disturbing things you'd have to do to get off. For example, he gets into necrophilia, keeping the body around longer to have sex with it before disposing of it. And he becomes, you know, uh, uh, more sexually attracted to specific body parts, that partialism I think we were talking about, such as the calf and, and biceps. He'd masturbate with one hand while holding a dismembered bicep in the other hand. Motherfucker. Can you imagine uh, walking into somebody doing that? Hey, Jeff, you left your mailbox key in the... Oh, what the fuck? Oh, no, it's, it's, not, it's not what it looks like, Randy. It, it, well, it looks like you're standing over a dead body. 
missing, uh, missing most of its fucking body, and then you're holding on to one of its muscles and jerking off, my friend. Oh, well, in, th- in that case, it's exactly what it looks like. Ugh. And then he takes it even further, starts eating his victim's muscles. This too was sexual for him. Uh, part of his desire for control, he says uh, later, I was branching out. That's when the cannibalism started. Eating the heart and arm muscle was a way of making me feel that they were a part of me. It made me feel like they were a permanent part of me. It gave me sexual satisfaction to do that. My God, he was a fucking deviant. Uh, but still, uh, even eating them wasn't enough. After a little while, he tries to make them into sex zombies. Dahmer said, the killings were just a mean to an end to create zombies. That's why I tried to create living zombies. And he says all this shit so casual, like he's talking about, uh, the pepperoni on the pizza was not to my liking. That's why I ordered a Canadian bacon pizza next. Holy shit. Uh, he details yeah, how he tried to make a zombie, saying, uh, I tried to keep the person alive by inducing a zombie-like state by first injecting diluted acid solution into their brain or hot water, and it, it never did completely work. Yeah, you fucking idiots, because it's impossible to do that. Some of the victims of Dahmer's zombie experiments did live for hours, though, uh, but all eventually died, most likely very painful deaths. Uh, he'd, he'd eventually uh, develop other ways to keep keep his victims around a little bit longer, at least their bodies. Uh, police found numerous Polaroid... Oh, not their bodies. I'm sorry, the, the evidence of them, like to reflect on later. Like he, police uh, found numerous Polaroid photos of his various victims in various states of decomposition, you know, so he could mentally re- revisit whenever he felt like his rapes and attacks later. It was my way of remembering their physical appearance, their beauty, he would say. I considered even more creepy shit. He said, uh, if I couldn't keep them with me whole, I wanted to keep their skeletons. I even went so far as planning on setting up an altar with ten different skulls and skeletons as a sort of memorial. <sighs> During his final killing spree, Dahmer became obsessed with the movie The Exorcist 3. Uh, he'd watch it all the time uh, in between doing these things. and He said he identified with the feeling of being compelled towards evil acts by some murderous demon that's possessing you. Okay, well, victim Errol Lindsay was the first man Dahmer tried to turn into a zombie in April of 1991. He lured Errol, uh, who would be his sixth victim since moving into his new apartment, back to his place for drinks and photos. Classic Dahmer. You find a good pickup line, you fucking stick with it. You don't get extra points for creativity. Uh, Jeffrey bought some hydrochloric acid from a local hardware store, same type of acid that had been thrown into the faces of numerous women's uh, faces, uh, numerous women, excuse me, in recent years to horribly uh, disfigure them. You've probably heard of those stories. It happens a lot in Bangladesh for some reason, uh, often as revenge for a rejected marriage proposal, you know, which is why there's that old saying, uh, don't say no to a desperate man holding a jar of acid in Bangladesh. That's where that, that's where that comes from. Uh, Jeffrey uh, told the clerk that he needed it to clean bricks. He was using it for some home repairs. And uh, after Dahmer drugged Lindsay, instead of strangling him like he usually did, he drilled a hole through his forehead and, and tried pouring in some of the acid. Well, the experiment doesn't work. It just woke up Lindsay for a second, who asked Dahmer where he was, what was happening before passing back out and then dying almost immediately. Dahmer then gave up, uh, you know, uh, I guess, you know, strangled uh, him to make sure he was dead, dismembered him, and then kept Errol's head uh, and added it to his growing cl- skull collection that he, you know, would like to watch The Exorcist 3 with. I wonder if, it, like, at some point, he's having beers watching The Exorcist 3 for, like, the 30th time, just talking to his fucking growing pile of human skulls, taking from dudes he's raped and killed. Did he ever, like, in a moment, just think, just, what the fuck am I doing? This is getting out of control. This is getting real weird. I'm weird. I'm weirding myself out. This has gone too fucking far. <sighs> I doubt it, though. I doubt it. At this time, he's still working at the chocolate factory. I, I am fascinated by people, how they can be that fucked up at home, but still function out in society. You know, still go to work, you know, enough to not get fired, you know, still talk to people, do normal stuff. 
The ability for people to rationalize horrific actions can kind of compartmentalize their lives that way just fascinates me. Well, May 24th, 1991, Dahmer lures Tony Hunes, who was both deaf and mute, back to his home after writing him a note, asking him to come back and take naked photos, strangles and dismembers him as well, kills again two days later in what many would consider to be the worst of his crimes. Oh, this one is especially bad. After an afternoon of heavy drinking and watching The Exorcist 3 again, Dahmer being Dahmer, he goes out hunting. He's low on money, decides to skip the gay bars. Instead, he decides to troll around his neighborhood, runs into 14-year-old Laotian boy, Kunarak, uh, sent us some phone. Well, ironically, the younger brother of the 13-year-old Dahmer had molested back in 1998. Well, sent us some phone, came home with Dahmer, uh, who then drugged and then orally and anally raped him, this kid. Then Dahmer uh, leaves to go to the bar, thinking uh, sent us some phone would just be you know out for a few hours. I guess he wanted to have a couple celebratory drinks, some fucking weird shit he's doing. I don't know. Maybe lure back another one to horrify them. Who knows? But he returns, and he finds a, a naked sent us some phone talking to two female neighbors outside his apartment, conscious but still drugged, babbling incoherently in, La- in Laotian. Uh, no one can understand this poor kid. He's bleeding from his anus, so the women call the police. Dahmer tries to explain it's just a domestic dispute, just a lover's quarrel. Uh, the police show up, and Dahmer tells them sent us some phone was an intoxicated 19-year-old boyfriend of another man he knew. The police buy it because he's a smooth talker. And Dahmer takes Synthesome Phone back into his apartment in front of everybody, shuts the door, and then the real horror begins. He drills a hole into Synthesome Phone's brain, pours hydrochloric acid, and again, it doesn't work. Acid kills him, and Synthesome Phone just becomes another skull for Dahmer's growing altar. Well, on May 26, additional police officers, uh, a follow-up of the Synthesome Phone case, Jeff lets him inside. And again, he's a smooth talker. He just leads him into the living room. You know, to talk while Synthesome's dead body is lying on the bedroom floor, just feet away from them. Uh, answers whatever questions they had well enough that they leave and never come back to investigate what happened to young Synthesome phone. Uh, on June 30th, 1991, Dahmer is at it again, luring, drugging, strangling, and dismembering 20-year-old Matt Turner after meeting him at the Chicago Gay Pride Festival and convincing him to travel back to Milwaukee with him on a Greyhound bus for a professional fo- photo shoot. Again, Fucking the talking skills in this dude. How do you, it's one thing to pick up somebody at a fucking bar or festival or whatever. Another thing to take them home. Uh, another thing to take them on a fucking Greyhound trip home. It's not like they're going to think you're fucking rolling in the dough. Uh, the very next weekend, Dahmer takes another trip to Chicago. It's his new hunting ground where he meets Jeremiah Weinberger, convinces him to travel back to Milwaukee uh, with him as well. Uh, and in an interesting break from his MO, they have consensual sex and pass out together. Well, Weinberger uh, wakes up alive and in one piece next morning, but then when he tells Dahmer he wants to go back home, the Milwaukee cannibal is, is, is you know, not having it. And he, and he tries to talk Weinberger, who's a, you know, fairly, fairly decent-sized physical dude himself. Maybe he thought he just couldn't overpower him. And instead tries to talk him into one last drink before they hit the road. And, of course, he spikes that drink. Weinberger's knocked out. And then as part of his usual routine now, uh, Jeff sodomizes the unconscious man. But then instead of strangling him, takes, you know, another stab at the zombie creation. He drills a hole into his skull. But then this time, instead of using acid, he pours in boiling water, and it works kind of. doesn't kill him. But it leaves him in a coma-like state, and that wasn't what Dahmer wanted. He wanted a mindless human being that had no will of his own but could still, like, move around, you know, still had physical control of their body, could still follow commands. So he gets frustrated, strangles Weinberger, and puts his body parts and head in the fridge. Now, this makes me wonder— if Dahmer was born in like 2060 instead of 1960, where, you know, when Westworld like realistic sex robots are going to be totally part of our reality, I, I firmly believe that, would he be a serial killer then? You know, w- would sex with robots uh, actually dramatically reduce, uh, you know, his, his violent urges? W- you know, will they reduce these kind of sex crimes in general? Did the sex slave Dahmer wanted have to technically be human or just look and feel exactly like a human? 
uh, I feel like I've just thought up uh, the Dahmer argument to use uh, in pro-sex robot discussions. It's like, well, you don't you don't want sex robots? Do you want another fucking Dahmer? Is that what you want? Do you do you just frame the argument that way? Do you want Dahmer, or do you want fucking sex robots? It is either or. I don't know. I, I kind of want them around. I don't know. Maybe that's my deviant part. I'm just I'm just curious exactly what they look like. By, by the middle of July 1991, Dahmer uh, has had so many body parts in his fridge, he literally doesn't have room anymore for regular food. How fucking insanely horrific is that? He has a fridge full of heads, biceps, calves, hearts, other odd human parts. I wonder if he ever ate – this is really dark – but I wonder if he ever ate so much human flesh that he just got like tired of it, you know? Like like how salmon can be great for like one dinner, but if all you have is salmon at home and you just have salmon 10 nights in a row, eventually you're going to open up your fridge on like the 11th night and be like, fucking salmon. So sick of fucking salmon. Like did Dahmer ever open up his fridge and just be like, all right, I guess I'm having dude again. Dude sandwiches for lunch, dude sausage for breakfast, dude steak for dinner. I am so sick of dude. Dude, dude. Dude, it's all I ever eat in this place. Well, Dahmer strikes again on July 15th, 1991, luring, drugging, strangling, and dismembering 23-year-old amateur bodybuilder Oliver Lacey. Uh, you know, I guess if you're going to eat almost nothing but biceps and calves, you, you might as well go for the best biceps and calves in the land. And then on July 19th, true tragedy strikes. Dahmer is fired from the chocolate factory, and Dahmer is devastated for several minutes. Then he gets over it. And goes back to killing. Same night, he's out hunting, and, and he finds 25-year-old Joseph Braidhoft, a uh, father of three from Minnesota. Joe had traveled from Milwaukee or to Milwaukee to get a job. Turned out the job was gone. By the time he got there, he was down to his last few dollars, trying to get back out of town. Dahmer finds Joe down on his luck at a bus stop, plays the part of the friendly and sympathetic ear, suggests they go back to his place for a few drinks. Told Joe he'd pay him for some nude photos. Now, Braidhoft's family claims he was straight. Dahmer would later claim they had consensual sex. Who knows? Uh, Dahmer drugs and strangles Joe, but then instead of dismembering him, just leaves his body on the bed for several days. Uh, he wants to, you know, he's, he's changing it a little bit. He wants to try. He can't get the zombie, but maybe he can just enjoy the corpse a little while longer, I guess. July 24th, 1991, Dahmer tries to kill one last victim. Uh, he met 31-year-old Tracy Edwards and two other men, told them they should all come back to his place for some drinks, then told Tracy's two friends the wrong address and then hops in the taxi with Tracy. Tracy didn't notice the address ruse. Later testified at this point in the evening, he just still doesn't feel endangered. Uh, Dahmer was engaging and articulate, seemed like a nice dude. Uh, once Dahmer got Edwards back into his apartment, he began pressuring him to take his clothes off, take some naked photos. While Edwards was reluctant, uh, uh, or when he was reluctant, Dahmer suggests a beer. Dahmer then brings Edwards an unopened beer and also a rum and coke mixed with his perfected sleeping pill mix. But Edwards, a little skeptical, just takes sips of his drink so it doesn't knock him out, and then he feels like something's off. Then he notices some boxes of acid in the corner. Smells a strange odor. Gets cold feet, starts to get up to leave, and then Dahmer slaps a handcuff on his wrist. They begin to struggle. Edwards was able to keep Dahmer from getting the second handcuff on his other hand. Then Dahmer uh, grabs a large knife, and Edwards freezes. But then instead of stabbing Edwards, Dahmer puts his head up against Edwards' chest, tells him he's going to eat his heart. How fucking terrifying is that? Then Edwards, you know, has a chance to hit Dahmer, does so, runs, runs down the street with the handcuff still on his wrist, Tells him uh, he sees some police officers, flags him down. Edwards then leads the police back to Dahmer's apartment. An old silver-tongued Dahmer starts talking them out of pursuing the matter once again. But then Edwards himself runs back in the apartment to show the officers the knife Dahmer had pulled on him. Uh, one of the officers follows, uh, ends up seeing a collection of Polaroids Dahmer has in his bedroom. Polaroids of his victim's dead bodies. Now, these photos are beyond macabre. Torsos bent into unnatural positions. Heads removed, placed on displays. One dude with his legs, arms, and head still attached, but his chest opened up. Looks like something on a Hellraiser. 
Uh, I did look a few up on the web. They actually are on there if you're uh, that morbidly curious yourself. Dahmer tries to explain away the photos, but the police officers were disturbed enough to call for more officers who arrived and began to search the apartment. And uh, they open up uh, the refrigerator and see a fucking head staring back at them, and that's when it's all over. They find various other body parts, some half-eaten. They eventually find an altar of seven carefully cleaned human skulls, a vat of acid with the remains of three torsos uh, still inside, and so many other body parts. Damas was caught with a preposterous amount of damning evidence, doesn't even bother with an attorney during his interrogation. Uh, He wants to tell him everything. And that's why we know so much about him. He was so open after being caught. Over the next several days, he confessed to all 17 killings, even the one going back to when he just graduated high school in Ohio. And and the creepiest part of the confession was when Dahmer talked uh, to me about his plans for that death shrine I've referenced. When asked as to why he'd preserved a total of seven skulls and the entire skeletons of two other victims, Dahmer stated he'd been in the process of constructing a private altar of victim skulls, which he intended to adorn upon the black table located in his living room and upon which he had photographed the bodies of many of his victims, you know, or he had placed photographs. This display of skulls and photographs was to be adorned at each side with the complete skeletons of Ernest Miller and Oliver Lacey. The four severed heads found in the kitchen were to be removed from flesh and used in this altar, as well as the skull of at least one future victim. Incense sticks were to be placed at each end of the black table above which Dahmer intended to place a large blue lamp with extending blue globe lights. The entire construction was to be placed before a window covered with a black opaque shower curtain in front of which Dahmer intended to sit in a black leather chair. When asked who the altar was dedicated to, Dahmer replied, myself, it was a place where I could feel at home. Fuck, he was evil. He fucking, he further describes his intended altar as a place for meditation from which he believed he could draw a sense of power, adding, if this hadn't happened, or if this arrest, like if I hadn't been arrested six months later, that's what they would have found. My God. July 25th, 1991, Dahmer's charged with four counts of murder. By August 22nd, he charged with a further 11 murders considered committed in the state of Wisconsin. December 14th, investigators in Ohio, having uncovered hundreds of bone fragments in the woods uh, where Dahmer had described they would be, um... You know, he gets charged with a, a, another murder. Uh, Dahmer was not charged with the attempted murder of Tracy Edwards, nor with the murder of Stephen Toomey. Uh, he just wasn't charged with Toomey's murder because the Milwaukee County District Attorney only brought charges where murder could be proven beyond a reasonable doubt. They obviously had, you know, enough enough stuff to put him away forever. Uh, and Dahmer had, had no memory of actually committing that one. That was the one where he blacked out. And he pleads guilty uh, to 15 counts of murder. Wisconsin doesn't have a death penalty. Dahmer is sentenced to 15 consecutive life sentences. He, he'll, he'll be, he would have been eligible for parole in t- 2000 or 2928. <laughs> Not kidding. Uh, victims family screamed and lunged at Jeffrey as they got to say final statements to him during his last day in court. Jeffrey's final words were emotionless. Uh, but he said, I know society will never be able to forgive me. I know the families of the victims will never be able to forgive me for what I've done. I promise I will pray each day to ask their forgiveness when the hurt goes away, if ever. I have seen their tears, and if I could give my life right now to bring their loved ones back, I would do it. And then two years later, Jeffrey himself would be killed by another inmate. So the families do get a little bit of the justice they were hoping for. Christopher Scarver, a 25-year-old convicted murderer, uh, had grown sick of Dahmer's prison antics. He, he'd grown to despise Dahmer because he would fashion severed limbs out of prison food, allegedly, to taunt other inmates. He'd drizzle packets of ketchup to make it look like blood. And on the morning of November 8th, 1994, when Scarver doled out uh, some vigilante – or Scarver doled out some vigilante justice in a gymnasium of the Portage, Wisconsin prison. Dahmer, 34, uh, Scarver, 
and a third inmate, Jesse Anderson, uh, were led unshackled to clean the bathrooms by correction officers who left them unattended. Seems a little fishy. They probably wanted Dom or gone. Uh, Scarver, uh, who was repulsed by the youth molesting cannibals' lust for flesh, kept in his pocket a newspaper article, apparently, detailing how Dom had killed, dismembered, and in some cases ate, you know, his victims. Scarver uh, just retrieved his mop, was filling the bucket with water. When someone poked him in the back, he turns around. Dahmer and Jesse were kind of laughing under their breath. Scarver recounted, I looked right in their eyes, and I couldn't tell which one had done it. Then the three men uh, split up, and Scarver followed Dahmer toward a staff locker room. He grabbed a metal bar from the weight room, confronted Dahmer with the new story he had been carrying in his pocket, asked him if he did all those things, because I was fiercely disgusted. He was, sh- uh, he was shocked. He said, yes, he was, Scarver said. He started looking for the door pretty quick, but I blocked him. And then, with two swings of the bar, Scarver crushed Dahmer's skull. He ended up dead. I put his head down, he said. And just like that, uh, the whore that was Dahmer uh, was gone forever. And uh, kind of interesting there that he would die by another, you know, weight room thing. That was his first murder, if you remember, is when he used a dumbbell to hit the back of that hitchhiker, you know, head. Or hit that hitchhiker in the back of the head. And now he gets this. Ugh. Well, before we wrap up this episode forever, uh, let's take a look at how Dahmer's name has remained relevant in pop culture with some weird facts. Weird facts. First weird fact, the Chicago extreme metal band Macabre released an album in 2000 called Dahmer, where every song is about Dahmer, complete with factual lyrics. The most popular song from this album, at least on iTunes, is called Jeffrey Dahmer and the Chocolate Factory. Lyrics include, oompa loompa doopa dee doo, Jeffrey's stirring up some chocolate for you. Oompa loompa doopa dee dee, he worked at the Ambrosia Chocolate Factory. What would you bet Jeffrey guzzled down meat? Eating a bunch of the fellas he'd meet. What the fuck? That's fucking dark lyrics there. Uh, Macabre may have dropped the most musical Dahmer references, but they're uh, far from the only band to reference him. Keisha references Dahmer in 2010's Cannibal. Your little heart goes pitter-patter. I want your liver on a platter. Use your finger to stir my tea, and for dessert, I'll suck your teeth. Be too sweet, and you'll be a goner. Yep, I'll pull a Jeffrey Dahmer. Uh, references also show up in Chris Brown, Lil Wayne, and even Katy Perry songs, amongst others. Heavy metal band Soulfly has a song named Jeffrey Dahmer released in 2010 where they butcher uh, Melody uh, as effectively as Dahmer butchers people. Not a big fan of Soulfly. Uh, and then there's The Silence of the Lambs. Uh, there's an interesting thing there where that came out in the United States on January 30th, 1991, that movie, six months before Dahmer's capture. And many think that's part of the reason he became so infamous, why he's remained in pop culture. Because uh, after that cannibalistic killer, Dr. Hannibal Lecter, America was especially fascinated with the capture of real-life cannibal killer, Jeffrey Dahmer. And then finally, uh, some recent stuff, uh, and uh, some coming up, uh, John Backderf, known by his pen name of Durf, created a comic about Jeffrey Dahmer. It's titled My Friend Dahmer. And D- Durf actually knew Dahmer. They were friends. Jeffrey Dahmer and John Backderf slash Durf were classmates in middle school and in high school. And Durf began working on the comics after Dahmer's death in 1994. Uh, the graphic novel version of My Friend Dahmer was published in 2012. You can read it if you want to know, know more about Dahmer's high school identity-forming years. Or you can watch the film set for release this fall, starring Anne Hesch as Dahmer's mother, Dallas Roberts as his father, and Ross Lynch, better known as Austin Moon, from the hit Disney kids show Austin and Allie that ran from 2011 to 2016 as Dahmer. Talk about an I am an adult actor now move. Uh, goofy kids show to Dahmer interesting transition. <laughs> Weird facts. So, how intense was this suck? I mean, I knew Dahmer was sick, but I forgot how sick he was. 17 dudes died. Only the first died suddenly. He had it the best, man, a dumbbell to the back of the skull. Literally never saw it coming. But some of the rest met such torturous ends, especially, you know, young synthesis phone, drugged and sodomized, only to wake up and escape and then be taken back into Dahmer's evil lair, have a hole drilled in his head, acid poured into his brain. 
What a terrifying example of deviant excess, needing to push his depravity further and further in order to get off. I think there's a good lesson there. A little experimentation is okay, but man, don't get, don't get addicted to the new. Don't get addicted to taboo. Stick to the classics as much as possible. Or find a fetish you like and stick with it. Don't, don't keep pushing the envelope. Or I don't know. Maybe if you're healthy, the envelope uh, pushing is just fine. Maybe there isn't, maybe there isn't a lesson here. Maybe, maybe it was nothing that Dahmer did that turned him into who he was. Maybe he was born a monster. Maybe he would have become some twisted killer no matter what. You know, it's the old nature versus nurture debate. You know, I, I'd always lean towards nurture on that, but sometimes I don't know. You know, I try to raise my two kids the same way, but they're very, very different people from birth. My son Kyler has always been sensitive, quick to cry since he was a baby. He's always been very sweet, always been a people person, always been quick to laugh. My daughter Monroe has always had a little bit of a temper underneath, always, you know, had a defiant streak underneath, always been willful and stubborn ever since she was a baby, always been generous too and thoughtful. She's good with money, always been a saver. Kyler's horrible with money, always been a spender. What if, instead of being born stubborn, you know, uh, what if you're born with some kind of fucked up latent sexual attraction to gore and pain? It was always in you just waiting to manifest. Oh, man, I don't know. Uh, Dahmer tries to explain his motivation in this uh, in this uh, little clip from an interview. Check this out. The only motive that there ever was was to completely control a person, a person that I found physically attractive, and... Uh, keep them with me as long as possible, even if it meant Ugh. just keeping a part of them. My God. <sighs> who, know, who knows? Maybe he was born with that weirder. Dahmer said he liked The Exorcist 3, you know, again, because he, he, he related to the feeling of being possessed by a murderous demon, as I said earlier. Well, if you haven't seen that one, uh, 92% audience score, 78% critical approval on Rotten Tomatoes. So at least, at least he had de- decent taste in horror flicks. But what if that wasn't some cop-out, you know? What if it wasn't some way to distance himself from the moral responsibility of his crimes? What if some people really can't help being bad? Now, I'm not saying that should let them off the hook if it's true. Actually, if you know someone was just murderous by nature and that that nature could not be corrected, the moral thing to do, the action in favor of the greater good, would be to immediately execute them. A lot to think about. Uh, the only thing I know for sure after doing research uh, uh, on all this is that I'm not going to read about serial killers for, for a good few days at least. Uh, man, Dahmer was fucked up. And let's recap uh, exactly just how fucked up he was with some top five takeaways. Time suck. Top five takeaways. Number one, Dahmer killed three of his victims in his grandma's basement while his grandma was at home, making him, in addition to being a cold-blooded killer, one of the worst and most disrespectful grandkids of all time. Number two, Dahmer committed numerous acts of necrophilia, actively tried to make sex zombies, uh, kept a dick preserved in acetone in his chocolate factory locker for a year and fucked a mannequin. And you thought you were kinky. Number three, be very concerned if the only thing your son seems interested in is the dissection of animals. Best case, he wants to be a taxidermist when he grows up, which is still not a good case. No father in the history of fatherhood has ever beamed, meet my son, Uh, he's a taxidermist. No, I think it's more like, meet my son. He's, uh, <sighs> he's, he's a taxidermist. Number four, when American author and scholar Joseph Campbell said, follow your bliss. If you do follow your bliss, you put yourself on a kind of track that has been there all the while waiting for you. And the life you ought to be living is the one you are living. I love that quote. Try to live my life by that quote. But I'm guessing Joseph didn't have Dahmer in mind when he came up with it. Might need to amend that for him. Maybe something like, follow your bliss. Unless your bliss is violent, dark, and perverted. In that case, follow a better person's bliss, you twisted fuck. And number five, some new info, as we're doing now. Some researchers recently have begun to think that Dahmer may have been on the autistic spectrum. Specifically, he may have had Asperger's syndrome. 
Dahmer, who murdered 17 men and boys between 1978 and 1991, was never clinically diagnosed with autism, but evidence exists to suggest he displayed numerous indications of Asperger's syndrome, uh, a new study in the Journal of Aggression and Violent Behavior said. The Milwaukee killer was a loner as a child, unable to bond with anyone. He was regarded as odd and bizarre. Uh, he had difficulty with nonverbal communication, such as dearth of facial expression and his unusual gaze. His gait was mechanical, as though his knees were locked while walking. All traits linked with Asperger's syndrome. Interesting in that it may go along with what I said earlier. What if, just like you can be born on the autistic spectrum, no one disputes that, you could also be born uh, on, on the kind of uh, sexual spectrum uh, in, in a section that predisposes you towards violent sexual fantasies. Man, so thankful that the bra section of the old J.C. Penny catalog could still do it for me. Time suck. Top five takeaways. Well, thanks, suckheads, for listening. Uh, if you're enjoying the suck, please follow it on social media at Time Suck Podcast on Instagram, Twitter, uh, slash Time Suck Podcast on Facebook, and check out that second generation flat Earth tea. Chris Fairbanks killed it on the design, and those OG first generation sweet teas are still available in most sizes. And those are selling pretty quick as well if you want to get one of those. And if you're in the L.A. area, I'll be uh, just north of Los Angeles at Levity Live in Oxnard, California this week, May 26, 27, and 28th. And I'll be in Orlando, Florida at the Improv June 8th through the 11th. So come say hi. And also, special announcement, man, before I give a sneak peek of next week's episode, uh, any time suckers move into Idaho, you got any friends in Idaho? You know people who just want to get a house in Idaho, buy one or sell one? Email my wife, Lindsay, at Lindsay, L-Y-N-Z-E, at windermere.com. W-I-N-D-E-R-M-E-R-E, Lindsay at windermere.com, or just email me or hit me up on social media. I'll connect you too. Uh, she's a badass realtor who truly cares about making her clients happy. She's just getting into it now. Uh, super thorough and hardworking, and you're not going to find someone better suited around Coeur d'Alene. And even if you're not in northern Idaho, Lindsay can connect you to the right realtor wherever you are in the state if she can't do it herself. And next week on The Suck, it's Shark Week on Time Suck. Let's get into the water. Or even better, let's stay out of the water. Let's stay safe on land and just talk about creepy shit in the water. Uh, I'll be talking about Megalodon, a giant, terrifying, ancient, now extinct shark. Uh, one of my greatest fears is to be attacked by a shark. I've always been so afraid of it. Uh, it's so irrational, uh, pro um, probably. Or maybe it's not. I don't know. It, it still freaks me out. Even talking about it, I get a little bit tense. Uh, I'm going to find out. Do I really have anything to worry about or is it all in my head? How many shark attacks occur each year? Where do these attacks occur? You know, what do you do if a shark gets a hold of you? Can sharks nibble off your cocking balls as you float along the surface? Is shark fear uh, real or just media hype? I just want to learn more about them. I once scuba dived in an enclosed uh, tank, saltwater tank, in a water park in South Africa, and the tank had sharks in it. Sharks that were bottom feeders and I guess, you know, actually could not bite you or physically incapable of biting you, and I still started to shake involuntarily. Only time that has ever happened to me. I couldn't stop shaking. Why does this creature terrify me on an instinctual level? Let's find out. And until then, don't accept drinks from strangers. Don't go to someone you've just met's apartment for a nude photo shoot. And most importantly, you guys, keep on sucking. Ever been to Delaware? If not, now's the time to visit. You'll find a lot of fun in a little state. Since you can drive anywhere in the state in a couple of hours, you'll spend less time driving and more time enjoying. Explore from the bays to the beaches, stroll the boardwalks, and have an oceanside bonfire. Get a taste of Delaware at one of the award-winning restaurants and enjoy a local craft brew. See the first state's unique historic landmarks and experience Delaware's endless discoveries. Plan your adventure today at visitdelaware.com. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. 
If you suddenly had an extra hour, show up in your day every day. What would you do with it? Work out, sleep, read a book, play Fortnite, call your mom, take judo lessons, finally watch all the episodes of Shameless. A lot of us spend a lot of our time wishing we had more time. But why? Time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The bad news is that you're not going to get that 25th hour. But what you can probably do is reprioritize where you spend some of your time. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it with your time. This year, my health is more important to me than cranking out another stand-up special as fast as possible. So I canceled a tour, sacrificed that income, and decided to spend a lot of the time I just got back working out more, resting more, relaxing more, and enjoying time with family, friends, and just myself. And I'm so glad I did. I feel better than I have in a long time. And my BetterHelp therapist, Debbie, was very helpful in getting me to make the decision to pull back. Thank you, Debbie. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash TimeSuck today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash TimeSuck.